You're listening to Aid Evolved, and I'm your host, Rowena Luke. This is a podcast about the people trying to find a better way to do good. Today, I'm thrilled to be speaking with Erica Lair, CEO of Dietrich International. Under Erica's watch, Dietrich changed from being the kind of organization that focused more on technology and tools to one that works hand-in-hand directly with government building digital systems, but then accompanying government to scale and institutionalize these programs. In the hour ahead, we trace her journey as a CEO. We talk about how she was scared, inspired, and guided by Mark Mitchell, the founder of Dietrich, who passed away two years ago. My favorite part is how she never really thought about herself as a CEO. But when the time came, everyone else in the room knew she was the one for the job just not her. Hope you enjoy our chat today. Here we go. One quick question, Erica. I understand you mentioned you have a one-year-old at home and two dogs and two cats in addition to a husband in there. How's that How's that going for you? Sounds like a menagerie. <laughs> it, it, it certainly is. It, it definitely makes for, for a busy life, but a, a very full life. Uh, but what it means <laughs> is that I, I, I schedule and I, I plan and I have my time at work and I have my time outside of work and, and there's not a whole lot of overlap, uh, which was, <laughs> was definitely a, a change for me once once the baby came, but we've been making it work. Nice. Respect. I mean, it's it's amazing for me to hear of a CEO, you know, someone with in this position making change in the digital health space who also has a family and a rich personal life as well. Um, so I appreciate you you sharing that piece. I can imagine all sorts of multitasking happening on the professional side and on the personal side. And I think that's something that that I've, I've worked really hard at over the years. I, I started, you know, a few years ago. I, I definitely didn't have that balance. And when I when I got pregnant and I knew the baby was coming, it was really important for me to start setting boundaries before the baby came. And and so I, I started to you know have my my work hours and, and not not check email outside of that. And it's something that's been transformational for me, really, to help be able to to manage work and life, and and also something that we're working with our team to to take on as well. How do you actually like the dogs and the cats and the baby? They all they all play together. Well, the the, the cats do their own thing, so they don't okay. they don't really play with anybody. They they mind their own business for the most part. Uh, yeah, baby is very interested now in in the dogs, and he's he's eleven months old, so he's starting to crawl. So he'll just kind of come up to them and start patting them. And so far, so good. We haven't had any issues, but I can imagine he'll he'll push it a little bit too far one of these days, and uh, yeah. they might not be so happy. Yeah, yeah. I actually also have an eleven month old, as a matter of fact. Um, but no pets so far. I think we just don't haven't been able to pull that off yet. <laughs> <laughs> our, our dogs, all the animals came with us from Tanzania. Actually, they were all oh, wow. um, street street animals. So we've had them for years. And when we moved from Tanzania to Switzerland, we yeah we we packed up the whole family. Uh, no baby at the time, but we had the, the the kennels that that went under the plane, and the dog or cats went uh, under our seats, and and we all made the trip together. So it's been amazing it's been an adventure. I understand it's a lot harder to import pets than it is to import children. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> much, much more so. Once I was finished sticking my nose deep into Erica's personal life, we did eventually start talking about her professional life. I asked Erica how she got into digital health, and she told me that she actually wasn't that interested in the digital part of it. She was passionate about helping people with HIV AIDS and looking for a job that would help her stay in Tanzania. In fact, when she first heard about Dietrich, she wasn't that excited. 
I, I saw the job description and I actually, I, I, I didn't want to apply. Um, I, not that I didn't want to, I shouldn't, shouldn't say I didn't want to apply. I, I saw it and I, I just thought, well, I, I don't know, this is digital health. Like what, what is this field? It's kind of new. You know, I've heard some things about it in, in grad school, but I, I hadn't paid so much attention. Um, oh, man. And then my husband actually came back to me with the job description and said, this looks really interesting. You should, you should apply. Um, so oh. so I, I applied. I um, actually, Mark, Mark Mitchell was one of the first people that I met. Uh-huh. In Dietree, he was—he's the founder of of Dietree. Um, he was a, a pediatrician. He'd worked for many, many years with with large NGOs in 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 many different countries globally. And he founded Dietree back in two thousand four, mm-hmm. actually, because he 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 believed that we could do things differently. He believed that that there was a different way to do development work. And I think he saw from a very early stage that technology is going to play a role in that. So this was, you know, way before the, the field existed, mHealth, digital mm-hmm. health. Um, it was really quite a pioneer in that space. And, and he's one of the first yeah. people I met when I started applying to Dietree when I when I had an interview and I was I was really inspired by him. So I came into the the, the job thinking, nice. well, let me let me find out about this organization. I'm not really <laughs> sure. And then I met Mark. And I mean, if, if you've met Mark, many in the field know Mark and um, uh-huh. have, had, had worked with him. And uh, he's he's a professor at heart, for sure. And he's also someone <laughs> that, that really tells it like it is. So he was very frank in some of his questions. And I remember... <laughs> thinking, wow, like, first of all, this is a really exciting organization. I would love to be a part of it. And I, I'm never going to get this job. <laughs> he, oh, no. he asked such hard questions. And, and I, I walked away feeling like, wow, I don't I don't think I, you know, mastered that that interview. And, you know, he told oh, me man. later, he was really tough on me, you know, as, as the best professors are, because he, he saw potential and he really wanted to kind of keep probing deeper and deeper. Um, oh, my heart know, is racing. Was... <laughs> I can imagine because you, you were there, like you wanted to stand Tanzania, here's an organization you interview, and then here's this guy who's grilling you. Oh man. Do you remember any of the questions he asked that you thought that you failed? <laughs> well, he was, I know he was, uh, <laughs> Mark was a little bit anti kind of big, you know, big corporation, NGO, big funding. And, and, and the job I had before was with Johns Hopkins. It was a USAID funded program. And at that point, I had a, a pretty, you know, a, 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 a package of benefits, let's say, that is, is very generous and, and quite nice. frankly, far more than is is necessary for the role that I was mm. was playing um you know and he was very very skeptical about that and and the fact that you know <laughs> the the values of Dietrich, which I carry forward now are you know we don't uh-huh. pay big expat salaries and packages we don't have cars for people we don't have a housing stipend because equity is so important and we want people who are committed to the work that we're doing not the the benefits package that we're giving them and and so nice. you know I tried to explain this is something that was I got this job with with Johns Hopkins I didn't didn't ask for this package I would have worked for far <laughs> far less and that's not part of my values um but right. you, you didn't know, create John Hopkins to, to convince him correct <laughs> you're, just, you're just getting a job <laughs> oh man that's exactly sounds- that sounds that sounds intense. Oh. But you made it in combination of, of Mark and your husband. I'm reading reading for you there. Um, bless your husband <laughs> for <laughs> for going through your discarded uh, job options. What was your first year to like? What's well, you know, some of the early projects that you were involved in. Yeah. So when I started at Dietrich, I was I was a program manager. So I've, I've really, I mean, over the years played uh, many roles within the organization. At the beginning, I was managing a, a few different digital health projects. And so this was back in 2014 when I started with Dietrich. And I think um, the combination of both where Dietrich has gone and where the field has gone, we, we've evolved a lot. But at that time, Dietrich was 
building building digital systems for partners. So we were working partnering with larger NGOs. So a couple of my first projects were with Pathfinder International um, or Japigo, where um, they contracted Dietrich through a, usually a larger, often USAID project, where we would kind of build a digital system as part of a broader health program. Mm-hmm. And and so the the very first project I worked on was a family planning project where we were supporting development of a digital system to equip community health workers to provide community-based family planning services. Um, I was I was doing pretty much everything. So at that time, we were working with uh, software platforms that were kind of a no-code environment. So you didn't have to be a, mm-hmm. a software engineer necessarily. So yeah, I- Which is good um, for you because you, you didn't come from a software background. You were on the health correct. side and the program side. Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'd never I'd never done anything with with coding or, or software, but you know, I, I, I studied chemistry in college. I think I kind of, I, I love logic and analytical <laughs> thing, thinking and reason. things and, and, and reason. And, and for me, it was, it was so fascinating because this, this field, the, I had the ability to, to bring together both this, the digital side where, where I was actually building the mobile apps that we were, were using. So I was defining the, the workflows and the logic and then building them. Um, but also working with, with the partners, with the government, going, going out to the communities that we were working with and, and talking to the community health workers. And so it was this nice. wonderful mix of, you know, kind of the very concrete logical science that, that part of my brain loves, but then uh-huh. also the, you know, the real world implementation and how to, how to make that work. And, and so for me, that was the most, fascinating part. I realized very early on that it was exactly the right place for me to be at Dietree because I, I just, I just really loved this, this combination and felt like I was able to put these, these different skill sets and, and interests together, um, in a job that, that was, was really fascinating and you know, yes. gave us an opportunity to, to, uh, to, to do real work that mattered. So not in a, you know, theoretical sense, but, but be, be on the ground, be, be looking every day at the dashboards to see, you know, what was happening and, and working with our partners to continue to, to improve the program in the way that, that the services were being delivered. Nice. It sounds like right from the beginning, when you joined Dietrich, up until now, your job has been do everything, <laughs> make the whole thing run. <laughs> Although now, obviously, your, your scope has expanded a lot <laughs> since those initial days. <laughs> it's, it's expanded and the team has expanded. So, yes, I'm, I'm doing far less of, of everything, I would say, these days. But, uh, you know, have, have, you know I, I, think, I think my early days of being a, a program manager and, and kind of in the trenches with, with the team, it's, it's helped me so much in my role today as CEO because I, I really do understand what it is we do and, and every every sense of the word and that's that's yeah. helped me a lot to to think be more strategic and and also a better better leader of the organization yeah i mean it's one of the things that i i personally love about small organizations uh that are working in this space because if you're you know like for me i'm uh what i say my superpower is a short attention span you know i'm a generalist <laughs> uh and if you if you if you like that you know the learning and jumping from different things and seeing the whole picture uh then working for a small organization is great uh, because as you know coming from large organization before that in a large organization you're going to have a very specific role uh that's cut out for you and it's going to feel a lot different and, and get a lot less exposure than if you're at a small organization and you just kind of have to pull the whole thing together that, that's exactly right. Yes, I think, uh, and that works well for some people. That's definitely how how I feel. I love having a variety and, and not knowing what every day will entail. Uh, it, it doesn't work for everybody, but but it was a, a great a great uh, great place for me to end up. Good to hear. And so it's amazing that you were able to kind of accidentally get into this space where the day to day work was something that matched with your logical brain as well as your desire to work in public health. Was there a time? 
you know, I think a lot of people end up working in, in digital health because they want to work in aid in general. And they, you know, the job they get ends up being, you know, in the technology side or innovation side. I'm guessing at some point, particularly now that you run Dietry, <laughs> you got bought into the cause, digital health. That's an intervention that's going to change the world. It's going to make things better. It's not just one of many different things that you could possibly do maybe with your life. <laughs> I mean, I'm just guessing. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm just curious what there was a base of your time with Dietry or an experience that really drove that home for you where you're like, yeah, like digital health, it's not just the job that I'm going to have for a couple of years. Like I'm really going to commit to this, uh, this space of work in the aid sector. I think it, it comes back to our work in Zanzibar, actually. So Dietrich has been working in Zanzibar since since 2010. And so the program had been going on for several years uh, before I started with Dietrich. And I, I learned about the program. And then a, a couple of years into working with Dietrich, I actually managed the, the program. Um, what, I, what I saw was we, we had a program where basically demonstrating together with the government how how mobile tools could support community health workers to, um, at that point, the focus was really on get pregnant women to deliver in health facilities. So support them to develop a birth plan, make sure that they had transport lined up to engage community drivers to, to make sure that, that women had uh, money saved so that they could um, to pay for that transport and pay for other costs at, at the health facility. And you know what we were really trying to do is, is look at you know, what are these factors that, that are needed in order to support facility deliveries? You know, of course, none of that has to do with technology, but technology was the way that we, we um, delivered the, the, the services. So community health workers had these tools that really walked them step by step through, through visits that, that supported them to engage with, with male partners, for example, um, so that, that husbands were able to engage in these visits and agree in advance, basically give permission that the woman could deliver in a health facility, as we know that that is one of one of the barriers. Um, you know, the, the mobile app could help to save um, the amount of money that a woman has saved and help advise on how she can save more money. All of these things that if they didn't have that technology, you know, yes, they could do some things, but they wouldn't have been able to deliver these services in in such a, a high quality way. At, at the same time, you know, now their supervisors were were seeing what they were were doing and, and and able to support them in real time to say, you know, hey, you you made these visits last week, you didn't make this visit. Really specific feedback, and that to me showed me like this is wildly different from the way that um, that 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 community health services have been delivered in the past. And, yeah. and there's there's huge, huge potential. Um, in addition to to that, what I saw was the government's interest, which has, has grown over time. Um, and, and now we're supporting the government um, as, as they've taken this program on and they're they're now scaling nationally. Um, but to wow. see that that they were starting to also see and even back in those early days that there, there's something going on here that that's really exciting because now there's there's this data available that they can use for for not only just high level decision making, but to tailor what services, um, you know, or what, what resources are needed where, because all of a sudden we can see that this district is, is, is struggling in these, these certain areas. Um, and so it was this combination of this whole kind of systems approach that I saw of how technology is really transforming every level of the health system. Um, and to me, that's tremendously exciting. And, and I would say at the same time as that, you know, the, the global field was catching up. So WHO was working on their digital health guidelines and, and has now formalized that. And, and countries are starting to develop digital, national digital health strategies to, to guide digital health implementation. So, you know, we'd been kind of, you know, moving along for, for several years, trying to really develop evidence and, and to show 
yes, you know, a, a mobile app in the hands of a, a community health worker, a frontline health worker can improve health service delivery. It can improve health outcomes. Um, and at the same time, you know, the rest of the field was also seeing this, this potential. So I think there was a lot of convergence. And, and so all of those things together made me really excited about, about the space and the, the time and, and the potential for the years to come. Nice. And it's great to see that evolution from a more research and evidence agenda that, that you had to when it was actually getting taken up by the government and implemented in programs, um, being more on the programmatic quality that is also your, 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 your focus, even though you have the experience on the research side, as it were. Um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely hear you. Like when we can see health systems being delivered in a way that's fundamentally different than has ever been done before, and the, the small role that technology plays in, in changing the larger system, uh, I think that's, that's hugely exciting and hugely motivating. Erica, I'd love to chat a bit with you about, you know, in the more recent years, particularly your, your step uh, into becoming the CEO of Dietrich, because I'm sure that was a big it was a big change for you and, and for the organization um, as well. Was, what, was, what was that like? <laughs> what was the moment where like, you, you, you knew that you were even being considered for the job? And, and what, was the, what was going on in your head when you considered it? <laughs> yeah, it, it, I remember it clearly. It was December of yeah. 2017. And we were you know, meeting as a group. And, and so Mark, you know, he, he had founded Dietree many years ago. Mm. He was almost 70, he <laughs> uh, was, was kind of ready, ready to retire. And, and we knew it was kind of time to, to shift, um, shift the leadership of the organization. And, and we had a kind of a strategic planning meeting in, in Washington, DC after the global digital health forum and had, had these conversations about, you know, what's, what's next for the organization, what direction are we going? And, and it was at that point that, you know, it, it became clear that, that it was, you know, Mark was, was going to, to step back and, and take on the role of, of chairperson of the board. And at the same time that we, we really, we didn't really even consider bringing in somebody externally. I think it was, it was kind of clear that, that we, we were moving in a, in a good direction and the role that I had been, been playing at that point, I was chief program officer, um, was moving into a more strategic role. And, and, and so I think everyone else, but me maybe recognized that, um, and kind of said, well, well, of course it's going to be Erica. And I said, what? <laughs> wait a minute. That was, that was in the plan. Um, I, I had never, you know, as you think about like career goals, CEO was never, ever something that was, that was on my mind or that I, I thought oh, about. Um, I think it was just a, you know, a natural progression of, of how the organization was growing and I was engaging with, with the organization and, and maybe kind of, you know, seeing, seeing where, we could go and how we could fit into the broader field that, that seemed to everyone else like a, a natural fit. So they came to you and they didn't, they weren't considering any other options at the time. They were like, Hey, Erica, do you want, what do you think? Pretty, pretty much. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and wow. you know, and that, so that's the point where I thought, ha, huh. first, first I thought, Oh my goodness, I, I, there's no way I can, I can take this on. Um, and then I, I it sounds you know, intimidating. I'll be honest, you know, <laughs> It was intimidating, you know, and I'd, I'd been doing this for at the point at that time, four years working with Dietree. You know, I had experience, but not at, at that level of, of kind of leadership experience. And so it was a, a pivotal moment for sure. And I just I remember talking to Mark one day and he just said, you're, you're already doing this. Like You don't realize it, but you're already <laughs> doing it. And I see <laughs> something in you that you certainly don't see in yourself right now, but you will. And, you know, I have Amazing. full confidence. And so having the, the founder, you know, this is his baby, you know, he cares deeply about Dietrich and for right. to have his confidence in this, I, I, it really, really helped me to, to feel like, yes, this is, this is something that 
I, I can do. I'm going to give it everything I have and, and jump in <laughs> and, and and try. And it's been a great experience since. So I'm I'm really I'm 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 very grateful for the opportunity. And um, it, it definitely wow. gave me the chance to to just learn a whole different aspect about you know leadership and um, I can and, imagine and, and running an organization that <laughs> I, I wouldn't have imagined. But I, I've loved I love that learning curve. It's, it's been a great journey. How long did you have to think about it when when they first started talking about it? And you were like, well, I'm I'm sure it wasn't right away that you said yes. <laughs> no, no, it was it was like mid December, and so then we were all sort of going on on break for for end of the year, and and so mm-hmm. I, I I thought about it. I feel like you know. <sighs> I kind of knew deep down after I had that conversation with Mark, I kind of knew like, okay, yes, this, I, I can do this. Um, yeah. Obviously needed to talk to my husband because it was a <laughs> massive, oh, <that> guy. <laughs> massive shift and, you know, lots of questions. Are we staying in Tanzania? Are we moving? Uh, but in the end, we, we, you know, realized I, I can do this from, from anywhere, you know, and, and Tanzania makes a lot of sense. So we, we, we stayed in Tanzania. We yet decided, I, and then I came back from, from the, the, the winter break in January and, and was kind of ready to go and, and hit the ground running. And then we made the announcement in uh, April, I think of 2018. What a Christmas that must have been for you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> reflecting on the change ahead. And like amazing and phenomenal to hear about how Mark lifted you up. I think for for a lot of us that are more humble or shy or, you know, like, you know, as, as you're saying, you don't think of yourself as a CEO, um, having that, that voice to tell you like, yes, Erica, you can do this <laughs> is really is really essential to that success story. How did you navigate that in the months, uh, in the months and the years after that? Because it's as we said, you know, as we're talking about, it's intimidating. Here's here's Mark Mitchell. He's an institution in and of himself. But now you're stepping in as CEO. And I think that's fantastic for the organization because it, it shows that you can you can move, you know, from one leadership to the other and you're not just attached to one person. But for you, you know, as the new CEO, there's this fine balancing line of how much to stick with the old way and how much to bring your particular flavor and style of leadership into the picture. So what was that what was that balancing act like for you? It took a, a little bit of time, I would say. I mean, Mark and I worked, we worked really closely together. He was still heavily involved at, at the beginning. Um, and I think yeah. we had a conversation one day and, and Mark, he, he recognized and he said, look, you need to be the leader. You know, I'm I'm not anymore and I want to support you, but Dietrich needs to move in in the direction of your vision. And and so oh. he, he really took Yikes. a bit of a step back, which I think was really hard for him at the time, but he realized that that was what was necessary. Um, and, and so it was it was those months, 2018, I would say that Dietrich did start to make a, a pretty pivotal shift. And, you know, part of it, I, I think, you know, Mark, so Mark's vision with Dietrich, and I think many people in the field know Dietrich around um, clinical decision support. If you say Dietrich, that's the first thing that comes to mind. And, and, and when Mark founded Dietrich, it was um, because he, he specifically could see that technology, um, that the mobile apps can, can provide that, that electronic clinical decision support in order to guide a health worker, you know, step by step through a visit. And so in the early days, um, we were digitizing IMCI and you know, doing, doing studies around that. And I think to some extent, Dietrich had become known as the, the, the decision support organization. And what, what I really started seeing is that that is critical. And we've been able to demonstrate that decision support is a, is an integral part of how technology can improve health service delivery and health systems, but it's not the whole picture. And so if we are really going to make a long-term impact, we need to broaden our focus so that we're looking at not only how the, the technology is guiding a health worker, but how, you know, how that, how that 
data is being leveraged for the rest of the health system? How are supervisors really using the, the data coming? How can that improve the way that they interact with, with those that they, they work with? How are district health teams using, using that data to make real informed decisions and, and then governments? And you know, we have to take that full systems approach and, and be, you know, to some extent more, um, you know, more cross-cutting as an organization um, so that we can have a broader reach in order to, to really support the long-term institutionalization of, of technology. And so we made a couple of really big changes in, in 2018. Yeah, and, and just then, emphasize, like, that's, that does yeah. sound like a massive change to like the core identity of an organization. Um, like I, I can imagine all sorts of implications for that kind of a strategic shift. Sorry, please go on. Yes, yes, there were there were there were many, um, but, but I, <laughs> and, and I think a lot of this was was inspired and influenced by our work in Zanzibar. Because as mm -hmm. I mentioned, you know, when I came on, I was I was a project manager where we were essentially building technology for other organizations to to implement. Our work in Zanzibar has always been different, where Dtree was was kind of the lead implementer together with the government. And, you know, I saw that huh. that kind of relationship was was very different in in the programs where we were just building a, a digital system and, and kind of passing it off to a partner. You know, that served the the purpose of of, you know, helping them to meet their their goals for a, a donor funded project, which was often time bound, which was often very specific and focused on the health outcome. It wasn't focused on the long-term uh, institutionalization of the digital technology within a within a health system, and so in, in Zanzibar, in contrast, you know, we we were in the driver's seat. We were working with the government, and and we were able to um, think influence the the thinking around policy and around you know long-term planning for for a program, and we could see how that can have such such a longer term impact. Um, and so that yeah. was really the the shift that 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 we made to say we want to go away, um, not completely, but but as much as possible, move away from these these shorter term projects where we're more of a almost a technology vendor and shift into a role where we're really the the, the trusted digital health partner with governments where we stick around, where we have a, a diverse team that's able to support the governments as they're, they're both um, kind of developing their vision for digital, digital health and, and then mm -hmm. realizing that vision, which, which means that, that you need to be there on the ground and you know, accompany them as they, they go through these stages. Yeah. And so, let me just unpack a bit about uh, what this shift means for the benefit of our audience. You know, like there's two different kinds of organizations that you're talking, like this is the evolution that Dtree went through. Initially, as an organization that's focused on the digital intervention, uh, then your your focus is very much on on the product side, on the technology, on like a specific kind of intervention and honing that maybe in multiple different contexts or geographies. And But strategically, you're like, you're only focused on like, can I get a particular technology or particular intervention, uh, which is one part of a health system, to uh, a, a certain level of, of polish or completeness. With this shift, you're building on the success that you saw in Zanzibar, and that was a big personal inspiration for you as well, uh, to a much more holistic picture of what is the change that we're trying to do with a government. And that that and the nice thing about that is that then you can focus on the actual outcomes, like how are we changing the overall health system? How is it proving? How is it being? How is it being taken up? From an organizational perspective, I think it pulls you in a lot of different directions. You know, it means that okay, maybe last year you're working on the mobile app, and next year you're going to work on the data, and like in three years, you know, maybe you'll help out on on some, on some different pieces, um, just depending on what the needs of the government are. Um, and and Erica, I'd love to hear you talk a bit more about how you how you navigate that, particularly as a smaller 
organization. You know, there's there's a lot of different a lot, a lot of different moving pieces. And for an organization that's taking that kind of strategy, knowing your your niche and their, your partnerships uh, role within that uh, is obviously a key part to the success that you're going to have. Yeah, yeah. It was. Um, it, it it did take some time to really look at what what does Detree need to look like then because. Our model yeah. in the past had been, you know, yes, we were building technology, but we actually weren't building it in-house and we, we never have had our own software platform. And that's also important for us. We don't want to kind of have our own technology product that we're pushing, but rather be able to adapt to the needs of government to understand the context and 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 build systems, digital systems out of the, the software that makes the most sense. And there's a lot of fantastic groups out there that are building building software. You know, that's that's not where we wanted to, to be working in. But before the shift, we were working, um, you know, just with a couple of, of, of companies and kind of almost outsourcing that. So, so we didn't have a, a technology team in-house. And when we made the shift, we realized, you know, if we really want to have impact, the people building, building the technology that are, well, customizing, let's say, the technology um, from these, these often open source global goods software platforms that already exist, they need to be on the ground. You know, we can't have somebody sitting in an office somewhere and just hear from someone in Zanzibar what they need to build. You know, that's that's the model that I've seen in the past. And, and quite frankly, I, I don't think it works very well because you end up with something that gets lost in translation. And so our model of having, you know, local software developers sitting on, on the ground in, in the places that we're working, sitting right next to our, our program managers and right next to the government advisor and, and attending meetings with our government counterparts, that's how we can really make sure that we understand the context, we understand the need, and we can we can map that to the the technology that exists and, and technology that's being developed. And so we actually built out kind of a, 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 a technology team where we can work across different software platforms. So depending on, on where we're working, if the government has decided uh, to standardize on a, on a certain software, you know, we can, we can support that. Um, we can help them to analyze different platforms and assess what makes the most sense for them and then, and then help to build tools with that. Um, so that's been an important shift. And, and we, have, you know, we have developers in Zanzibar now. We're working with the Community Health Toolkit um, in mainland Tanzania. We have a, a team that's, that's building with OpenSRP as that's what the government has um, standardized on. And in, in Malawi, um, we're, we're, we're starting a new program and, and building a team now where we'll be working with DHIS2, because again, that's what the government has standardized on. So, you know, mm -hmm. that, that I think is an important distinction where we're not just coming in with, with a certain, a certain software, but rather able to adapt to the needs. The other, the other side that I think we really built up, we, we've always had kind of strong program management um, capabilities on our team, but was was around the government engagement. Because, mm -hmm. you know, when you're working with a partner, they're managing the government engagement. When when we are are, are in the driver's seat, we we realize what what I've come to, to realize, I think, is is the government engagement is just as important as as the technology. And and oh, I think that's something yeah, we've learned absolutely. along the way. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and and kind of the everything non-technology related is 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 more important than the tech. And and too often so much emphasis is placed on, you know, building the perfect app. Mm -hmm. But what I've come to learn is that, you know, if you don't have that strong, strong buy-in from from the government and the excitement around the potential of this system, then that's a really, really nice project that's, that's going to die in a few years. And so, you know, we, we right. really built up our government engagement team. And I think now we have this really multidisciplinary team 
in the places that we're working. You know, we also have have kind of global support of, of, of advisors that are, are, are supporting them. But having that team on the ground has been instrumental in, in helping us to, to really move forward. What was it like pulling the trigger on this change? You know, like I, I would again, like, you know, in your shoes, I imagine I, I would have been tempted to be like, OK, let's stay the course. Let's keep things the same, <laughs> you know, just because you don't want to uh, you don't want to mess things up on your first year on the job or, you know, stuff like that. Um, but you had the courage to dive in because you knew what you saw in Zanzibar and you wanted to replicate that success. What was that? How did you screw up the courage? <laughs> Sorry, that's not the right word. How did you come up with the courage to do that? It, it, it was scary. I mean, I'll be honest. I, I remember having <laughs> having a meeting with, with some of our team in Zanzibar when we were discussing this and and there were a lot of uncertainties. You know, as I look yeah. at this, it was it was a, a, a massive shift. And so that meant that, you know, we needed to, to get the team behind it, certainly, but also also funders behind it so that they could could come on board and, and fund this work. And the shift that we were making was going from largely responding to requests for proposals where someone says, we want you to build X, Y and Z to saying we are going to do this. And now we are going to look for funders who are aligned with that mission, um, who buy into that and want to fund fund it, uh, you know, to really put us more in the driver's seat together with our government partners. So it, it was it was a big risk. And I, I think um, the, the, the team and the board was tremendously supportive, which was was incredible. And, and, you know, serendipitously, we also had a couple of funders come on right about that time that that enabled us this shift um, that gave us mm-hmm. you know sufficient funding in order to to have some time to to really redesign the way that we were, were thinking about our work. And, and that was, I think, really catalytic in terms of us being able to to build up a strong team that we needed um, that maybe didn't mm. exist before. And and then to, to use that momentum to to bring on more and more co-funding. And I think what we've seen is that there's a need for this. You know, there's not a lot of groups doing this. You have the technology groups, you have the health groups, or, you know, as, as some people say that, you know, the, 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 the technical groups and the implementers. And, and I think we really merge, kind of blur those lines. We're, we're right at the middle there. And you know what? What I've seen is that it's worked really well in Zanzibar. We're we're actually talking to the government in, in Zambia right now because they've seen this approach and have invited us now to come and and kind of replicate that and help them as they're thinking about digitizing their community health system. Um, and every time we we talk to groups, they say, well, well, yeah, that that's really needed because that's that's the missing link. I think we're kind of the the glue that holds together all of these different pieces and and sticks around for the long term. Um, and, and and so, you know it. It, it, it was it was challenging at first, but now I feel like we're on a on a good pathway and we're able to really articulate where we're going and, and why there's a need for for this within the field. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly why Sebastian Manhart called out Dietrich in, in the previous episode of this podcast. He was like, it's a much it's a much needed gap. Uh, and Dietrich is filling that gap. But are there any other ways in which you've seen your personal leadership style influence Dietrich or shape it? Like looking at Dietrich now versus Dietrich five years ago, what are some other changes in the organization that you think reflect your leadership. Interestingly, I took on the CEO role. And then within that same year, this is when we got kind of an influx of, of funding coming in at that point from Foundation Boatner, um, which is a, a Swiss foundation that's that's really looking at kind of the intersection of, of, of you know, health and well-being and, and technology. So our team was growing at the same time. And so, you know, oh. we, we kind of had this Oof. rapid growth. And a lot of change. When I was a lot of change. And so I was trying to, you know, to, to figure out how to, how to lead the organization in general, but also lead us through this, this growth and, and thinking about bringing new staff on. So, um, I, I kind of developed a a network, I would say of, of, you know, other CEOs or leaders in the space and, and just started picking people's brains and understanding how do you handle these, these, these challenges? You know, what, what do you do in terms of, you know, the culture (laughs) of the organization and, 
performance management and, and professional development and, and these areas oh, um, did, a, did a ton of reading. You know, this is not, not related <laughs> to digital, but just organizational development. Um, and, and podcast uh, listening. Don't forget that. And, and podcast <laughs> listening. Yes, absolutely. And <laughs> I learned I learned a ton. And um, so we've, we've, we've implemented, I, I think, a lot in terms of thinking about kind of the organizational culture. And we've introduced um, OKRs, which, you know, is, is yeah. famous from, from Google to, Objectives to try to align the team. Yes, <laughs> objectives and key results. And, you know, still working through that. It's, it's definitely not perfect, but it is a way that we are, you know, aligning our team, empowering people at, at all levels of the organization, but making sure that we're moving in in the same direction. And so this year we, you know, developed kind of organizational OKRs that was really a process of bringing in voices from the whole team. The other, the other thing that, that I did that I think was really important or that we did, I should say, at Dietrich is, is to develop our first ever strategic plan. And um, huh. we'd never we never had one before. And I, I think a lot of that was, you know, you know Mark, he, he had an idea of where Dietrich was going and was always a bit hesitant to put things on paper because he would say, well, what if it changes? And you know, but what we realized is we need we need something that is aligning us in the direction we're going and and yes, things change. And you know what? If they do, mm-hmm. we can we can re- revisit and, and redo and, and kind of, you know, iterate as we go. But I found it really important that we had that kind of gold standard of like, where where are we going? And and that was that was nice. a process. It took, I think, about a year, um, lots of, of, you know, meetings with stakeholders and the team and drafts and revisions. But the product yeah. was something that I'm I'm really proud of. And I think it's been really important for Dietrich. Um, you know, and it's, it's helped to articulate that shift from moving from projects into these much longer term programs and, and focusing on government partnerships and impact. And I think we've done a really good job of, of generally following that um, and are, are moving in this direction and, and achieving a lot of what we're, we're setting out to do. So that's that's been been important, I think, for, for me as well as the, the organization. Nice. Amazing. Eric, I'm going to ask you one last question before we switch over to the rapid fire and it's about your journey as a CEO. Do you have any guidance for other people that are stepping into the role of CEO, you know, particularly women or people who might not you know, normally think of themselves as CEO material? Since you've walked that path, uh, do you have any guidance for future leaders? Yeah, I, I mean... When I when I came into this role, definitely there were feelings of doubt. I would look at other CEOs, and and to be honest, I was very intimidated. You know, they are such eloquent speakers. They have everything <laughs> under control. They have such a, a vision for where the field is going. And you know what was so interesting to me as I started linking up with with various CEOs and and, and others in in the space, I realized that that's not the case. You know, everybody is is insecure. Everybody <laughs> feels like, you know, they're looking at, at somebody else and, and, and kind of envious. And, you know, that we, we're all in the same in the same boat. Essentially. That's awesome. So I think, you know, first of all, just know that, you know, everybody has these insecurities. Um, I think for me, what has been incredibly valuable number one you know linking with others having that that kind of you know really trusted relationship when when i was just talking to another ceo lately and and he mentioned you know i feel like these are you know kind of one-third strategy and kind of understanding what what we're doing from an organizational perspective and and two-thirds therapy (laughs) because we're just talking about (laughs) therapy is so important (laughs) challenges that we face um the other thing that's been really critical is that we started working um i started working with an executive coach about three three years ago maybe yeah um I never worked with one before and and she's just been absolutely phenomenal. When when I took on this yes. role, you know, I think moving from a programmatic kind of technical role into a leadership role, it's not a clean cut. 
from one day to the next. Okay, now all of a sudden I'm doing this role. <laughs> so it took me a long time to make that shift. I think she was absolutely uh, inspirational in, in helping helping me develop the skills that I need to be you know, a coach rather than uh, an, an implementer and an executor kind of, um, and, and, and to build the, the capacity of, of my team to be able mm-hmm. to do a lot of the things I was doing. Um, yeah. and, and also to, to say no, to be able to separate, you know, what, it, what I was doing, the, the, the wisdom that she gave me that I, I think about almost every day is to say, what is the highest impact thing that you can spend your time on today? And I think about that I all love the time. That. That's amazing. Yeah, wow. Because, you know, you have all these emails, there's all these yeah. little tasks, but what is the highest yeah. impact thing? And, and often that really does change how I, how I structure my day and, and what I yeah. focus on, because I remember, you know, some of these initiatives that I need to work on are long-term and they, they, they're not immediate, but, but they're absolutely mission critical for the success of Dietrich in our future. And so I, you know, try to make sure that I'm, I'm focusing on that rather than, than some of the um, more immediate concerns that often come up. Right. I'm going to write that on the wall on top of my computer. <laughs> so thank you to your, your coach. That's that's great guidance. Wow. Erica, I know another big change that happened with Dietrich that I think everyone in the industry heard about was the untimely passing of Mark Mitchell, whom you've spoken about a lot on this in this interview. How did that affect you and the work that you were doing as a, as a newly minted CEO? What happened there? Yeah, it was... Um a bit over two years ago now. And I, I remember clearly, I was actually in Washington, D.C. at the time with some partners in our team and, and got a, an email when I woke up in the morning that Mark had been actually on vacation with his wife and, and some friends in Alaska. And they were hiking and um, he was completely fine. And then he collapsed. Oh, no. And he died instantly of a heart attack. I mean, it was absolutely out of the blue. And I, I, I remember, actually, it was the time that we were working on our strategic plan. And the day before he left for vacation, I got an email saying, you know, I had a look, I'm, I'm going on vacation, but I'm going to review it. And I really, really look forward to, to digging in more when I'm back. Oh. And, you know, it was just, it was cut so short. It was shocking to, to everybody. I mean, he was yeah. in, in great health. He was 70 years old. He'd really, you know, at this point, he'd really kind of stepped back from Dietrich and he was retired and he was a grandpa and you're just able to to love life. And it was, it was devastating for his family, for all of us. Oh man. Yeah. Like devastating for, for his family, for the industry, and even for where you were at with Dietrich and everything that was going on, you know, you're right in the middle of, you, you hadn't finalized the strategic plan. You're doing, putting the finishing touches on it. And then, and then to get news like that must've completely taken the wind out of your sails. It really did. Yeah. It was a really, really difficult time, but I, I will say I'm so grateful. I mean, he was a, a huge mentor and, and such an inspiration for me from when I started at Dietrich, but but that we had about a year and a half together since I took over as a CEO role. And I, I feel like our relationship changed when that, that change took place. And I, I got to know him on such a, a deeper, more personal level. And I, I even despite the short time had I think learn a huge amount from him that I've, I've taken with me today. So I'm, I'm really grateful for that. But um, yeah, it, it, it really, it really shook us all. And I think it cemented for us the need to continue Dietrich and Mark's legacy and make sure that what we are doing is going towards his North star. And what, what he always said, the vision of Dietrich is to ensure that everyone, no matter who they are, where they are, has access to high quality healthcare. And even though we've made these shifts in the organization and foundational changes, I would say we're still moving towards that North Star. And that's something that I, I keep with me and it helps to align as I'm making decisions. You know, are we doing this in Mark's vision? Is this something he would be proud of? And I, I think it's it's helped to, 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 to bring the organization together and, and, and we're all really motivated to continue doing that work that he started. Wow, that's phenomenal to hear. 
there's a lot of organizations that get founded and they exist only because of the the R, the glow, or the reputation of of its founder. I think it's a real testament to Mark's legacy that Dtree continues on under your leadership. You know that it's evolving, that it's growing. It's not just it's not just a one man organization. It's a living mechanism that that he helped to create, but that you're caring for it, and that's going to evolve under your leadership. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Just a few quick questions to wrap up our show. First question for you, Erica, is: Do you have any asks or requests for donors or policymakers who might be listening to this podcast? Yes, I would. I mean, among many, <laughs> if I have to pull out maybe one, just one, I would say one or two, <laughs> um, is to really understand the need for long-term partnership. Too mm. too often, I find that donors they want to fund something for three years, for four years, and then, you know, quote unquote, hand it over to the government. And when we're talking about digital transformation, it's it's a major change, and it doesn't happen overnight. You know, the field is still evolving. There's a long lot that we need to learn about. You know, what does it take to to really institutionalize digital technology within government? government health systems. And that, that takes time. It takes, it takes gaining trust of, of governments um, and being able to support them and, and have not only long-term funding, but flexible funding to allow us to, to change as needs evolve and grow. Um, and I, I don't see enough of that. And I think that's, that's really necessary if we really want to, to have an impact. 100% agree. I'm going to put in a quick teaser for a future podcast episode that we have from a USAID, a woman who's worked in USAID for 12 years, uh, who actually dives into why it is on her side that it's hard to do multi-year programming. But she also agrees <laughs> that that is the path to impact. Um, and so there's something institutional there for, for us all to think about and tackle. Erica, do you, is there a kudos or shout out you'd like to offer to another mover or shaker in this field? Yeah. Um, so one one organization that I've been incredibly impressed with is is called Jacaranda Health. Um, they're working in in Kenya under the leadership of of um, Sathi Rajasekaran and, and Nick Pearson. They're really they're a health organization, but they've embraced technology and innovation. Um, first, developing maternity hospitals that significantly reduced maternal mortality by by doing things differently, by using data, by using innovation, um, and now they're branching out more into the the public health space and, and, and really, really adapting with, with technology. And I, I think their work is just, just really incredible um, and, and they're growing quickly. And, and I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about them in the coming years. Nice. Is there a common implementation mistake you see from other people that are trying to do projects or programs in the digital health space? I think it's putting too much emphasis on the technology. I think that if you look at, at most, most projects, 70, 80% is building the perfect app you know, and, and getting it in the field. And I've mentioned this earlier, but but that's the, the least of our concern. You know, this, yes, technology is important, but um, we don't focus enough on on how are we going to, to put in place processes and systems to support people who are using these tools to use them effectively and to, to, to sustain that. So I, I really, I think that we need a much more holistic approach when we talk about digital health. Agreed. Is there a resource you use to stay up to date on what's going on in this industry? Honestly, I think one of the best is the, the Global Digital Health Network, which is a, you know, a mailing list of, at this point, thousands of, of professionals working in digital health. Um, I feel like we, you, know, you get interesting articles, you get job posts, there's just questions from the field. And it's, it's been a, a really great way to kind of stay up to date on, on what the field is doing and, and see what's, what's coming out to, to stay on top of. Last question, just for fun. Is there a book, a blog or a podcast that you've been enjoying recently that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah. So, I mean, one that's totally unrelated to, to digital health, but yeah, maybe, maybe you don't want to include this actually in the, in the podcast. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> I've been reading, I've been reading, 
reading a ton of parenting books because I'm a new mom. And, you know, yeah. I, personally, I feel so unprepared. You know, you go to you go to school for, for you know, 20 years to, to learn a technical skill. And then you have a baby and there's, Tell there's me no about user manual. So I know. Ton of books, uh, <laughs> Why is this not part I'm, of the school system? <laughs> yes. And, and so, you know, I'm you know, coming from a very scientific perspective. I want to understand, like, what does the science say? And, you know, how can you translate that again? Something that works. So I found a book that I, I really enjoying right now that I'm reading is how to talk to kids so they will listen and and listen so kids will talk uh, by Adele Faber and I'm, I'm finding it really fascinating again to kind of they're translating you know what what the research says and like what does that actually mean when your your toddler's throwing a tantrum and you know um, <laughs> in the middle of a store and, and how can you you translate that so um, yeah not not at all related to digital health uh, might not but, want to include that but <laughs> no no actually I've you know, I've, I've read that book. My husband has read that book. And I've actually seen that book recommended in many fora for business leaders. I know it's targeted at kids, but turns out a lot of the the mechanisms and the lessons in there, you know, people just want to be heard. They want to have their emotions understood. They want, you know, someone to listen and not try to dismiss, you know, how they're feeling, that kind of stuff. That's true for all humans. <laughs> and maybe, you know, some, it's helpful to think of it as a kid. Um, but it's it's helped me and my husband communicate with each other and at work too as well. So I'm definitely keeping it in. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for making the time to be on the show and for sharing your story. This was a fascinating conversation. Great. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Do you remember that Zanzibar program? The one Erica said inspired her when she first joined Dietrich. Also the one that led her to change the strategy of the organization. That program is currently being scaled up across Zanzibar, which basically has its own independent health system. It's been written into the government's long-term strategy, which never happens. And since we recorded this podcast with Erica, that system has now been deployed at national scale, meaning that every Zanzibari now has access to a digitally enabled community health worker at their doorstep. If you'd like to learn more about Erica and her work, you can find their website at dtree.org. That's d-tree dot o-r-g. That's it for today. See you next time.